Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Dyerwald. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Welcome to Inc. Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Chris? Madam? A couple things right off the top. Hit me. Neither of which are chit-chat. Oh, dear. The first is, we just got the affirmative action decisions from the Supreme Court. You're uh, springing affirmative action news on me. Does this mean I'm being replaced on the podcast by someone who is not Appalachian America? Am I a diversity given hire? That, given that this is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> given that the court has struck it down. Whoa! I wanted to tell our listeners because we are recording on Thursday morning, just as this has happened, that we will have to discuss this next week, as we have not had time to dissect th- the news coverage of this, I and there isn't that much news coverage of it. Let me go ahead and pre-butt the eventual news coverage okay. by saying the following. Conversations about race and public policy will be both shallow, politically motivated, shallow and politically motivated, and unsatisfactory to all involved, I think is what I can I can boldly project about how the coverage will go. Okay, well, I look forward to adding specific examples to now, interestingly, your opinion next I, week. I can say this, though. Did you notice the huge download of SNR? that came on the Supreme Court's decision. Oh, my gosh. On the redistricting? So there was a Supreme Court decision in which Chief Justice Roberts and SNR enthusiast, Strange New Respect enthusiast, Brett Kavanaugh, joined with the Democratic appointees on the Senate to, I would say, embrace incremental change, maybe, at most, on how states govern their own elections and how and there were some some intersections with the former president's efforts to steal a second term in 2020 and this was a very freighted case and boy i tell you when roberts and kavanaugh by the time brett kavanaugh has I'm been just laughing because the, for those watching on youtube just almost spilled my coffee everywhere but um, sorry to interrupt by the by the time brett kavanaugh has been on the supreme court for Ten years, I think, is probably the, at least by then. The New Yorker profiles of a clouded origin, a a a justiceship born under scandal, turns to reform or something like that. I think Kavanaugh will get plenty of strange new respect on that front. But what will be interesting to see on the affirmative action ruling will be after the strange new respect payload that was delivered to Roberts and Kavanaugh on that, they will immediately have to whip back to Cro-Magnon, Trump appointee, packed, right-wing court, hates people of color. So that was my first. That was my first. And my second brings us to the front page. Which I was going to say when you said, what's going wrong and what's going right in the Mm -hmm. mainstream media... I was going to say, for once, I want to start with something that's going right. Get out of town. Which was, in the Hunter Biden coverage, there has not been very much good coverage of the Hunter Biden saga, scandal, etc., from the mainstream media. But I woke up this morning and saw this extremely interesting, good piece from NBC News. Who wrote Carol Lee and Monica Alba. The headline was, Biden warns top aides against offering him political advice about Hunter, which I thought was an excellent story because it was right at the intersection of all the Hunter Biden stuff and the White House. And this is a real political issue for the president. So he's telling his aides not to offer him political advice on a major political issue and what may be a huge political liability for him going into the election. Yes, you want to read the lead? President Joe Biden has made it clear to his closest aides in no uncertain terms that he not only will reject any political advice that he tried to limit his son Hunter's public visibility, but that he also doesn't want to hear such suggestions, according to three people familiar with the discussions. His message, as one of the sources described it, was hands off my family. Now, let me tell you something. Having Hunter Biden go to the state dinner with the Indian prime minister. I have seen... Along with the uncle, Jim Biden, and the attorney general, Merrick Garland, 
the day, I can't remember if it was one or two days after the plea deal was struck. Hunter Biden, I, I am certainly willing to accept the possibility that Joe Biden is unable to deal with his son in a way that would be to his own political advantage. I'm certainly that Joe Biden and the losses that he experienced as a father, and I, I certainly can understand that. But I just, I hate to put it in these terms, and I hope this doesn't end up a clip on our social media, but I'm going to say it anyway, which is, who in the hell does Hunter Biden think he is? Like, who in the hell does this guy think that he is after grifting a living around the world, cashing in on his family's name, that this guy doesn't have any more decency and respect for his father than to exclude himself, right? Don't go. If you get invited, don't go. This, now is the time to go work as an oysterman or something, right? Now is the time to disappear from public life. And when the media finally finds you shucking oysters off of Hog Island that you say, I don't want to talk about it. And that's it. Going to the thing and living out loud, it took him this long to finally enter a plea. And, but showing up in a tux to a state dinner, that's trash. That's a, we, really, that's, that's a really ungracious, ungrateful that, way to treat your family. That doesn't even make the top 10 list of the number of, tr- of the trash things Hunter Biden has done. I mean, we know well, exactly. I'm, well, there's, I know, there's, I know. The, there's, the, there's the crack in prostitutes phase. But then we'll and that, that like barely cracks. I think all of the top 10, you know, are knocking up a woman but calling I, her what's her name but i'm but i'm saying if there if the narrative is i was in active addiction i ruined everything i did all of this stuff and then i got sober and i've cleaned up my life if everything that follows that right that's what i'm willing to judge him on now because he wanted you know i think it's fine when people, when george bush said don't judge me on my life before i'm 40 judge me after like i think you can give people the benefit of the doubt well you give them the benefit of the doubt and what's he do stages art shows so that people trying to curry favor with his family can buy his his art shows up where he shouldn't be sticking his face in cameras at times in shows of defiance when he's engaged in scandal this is really terribly unloving and frankly, dispatriotic behavior by this guy. And I don't, there's just, it, to me, inexcusable. Well, the dad is following in his poor, I mean, footsteps. It's sad. It's, it, I mean, you must find it sad. You must find Joe Biden, the story of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, to be a, a deeply sad one about Joe Biden. I do think that he's a very sad yeah. guy overall. I'm a sad person who, it's sad. I yeah. think his need to be in office is sad. All of it is sad. Yeah. All right, that brings us to Nick Kristoff's take about the real meaning of the Hunter Biden saga, which he told us in a New York Times opinion column. So he says, the real meaning of the Hunter Biden saga, as I see it, isn't about presidential corruption, but it is about how widespread addiction is and about how a determined parent with unconditional love can sometimes reel a child back. Well, if the NBC News story doesn't undermine that, yeah, I, I, I certainly there's a there's a story in there, and I understand this is an opinion piece that Nick Kristoff wrote, and this is as Nick Kristoff says as he sees it, and the import, and I do think that it's good that America is talking about addiction problems and people are coming to terms with this stuff more and more, but the political realities around this and the the damage that it's doing to the incumbent president is profound regardless of positive narratives about confronting addiction, for sure. So for all the reasons I liked the NBC News story, which was hard-headed coverage, our our friend Alex Thompson brings to our attention a separate instance of the press covering for Biden in these incredibly frustrating ways, which Biden made headlines, I think it was on, let's see, June, so yesterday morning. Yeah, um, this was Tuesday, Wednesday. Wednesday morning, when... He congratu- or when he referred to Vladimir Putin losing the war in Iraq. And Alex noted that the previous evening on Tuesday night, Biden had said the same thing at a fundraiser, but that it was not included in the press pool report and that the White House had then released a, a corrected transcript. But it is amazing to me that these things happen and that the press covering it 
doesn't co- doesn't actually cover it. So then it happened on camera and it did make headlines. Yeah, and the you know the thing is did you watch any of Biden's address on Bidenomics? Yes. So I was I watched it and, and did on-air analysis of it and it was hard to do any on-air analysis of it because it was so like 30 minutes is too long for Joe Biden to be in public talking. He just can't like I, I'm more than willing to believe the people I know who know Biden who say that in conversations and meetings, he can be incisive and attentive and do that stuff. I'm more than I'm more than willing to believe that's true. I don't know if I go so far as remember the New York Times piece about. Oh, yeah. He can ride the train more for vigorous so long. than ever. Yeah. This reminds me of when I was in high school was the. Bush v. Gore election yeah. in 2000. And a big issue in that election, of course, Gore had been Clinton's VP, right. um, but then he was running for president and it was all, oh, he doesn't have the charisma and the magnetism of, of Bill Tones, Clinton. Naomi so Wolf. Democrats, and it was the same thing with Hillary Clinton, they had to trot all these people out to say, in private, he's so magnetic, he's if so wonderful. If only they could know the real like, Hillary. I, yes, I remember there were, you know, conservative columns time were like, you know, in the bathtub, he's hilarious. Exactly, exactly. Um, is... you, you should you should see him at a barbecue. Yeah. The guy is just all giggles. Do you remember the piece? So Biden, you know, he's got so much energy behind closed doors. When it comes to riding trains, this guy is is killing it. <laughs> yeah. But but I am more than willing to believe that that the Biden that you see on stage is that that there is a better version of that. But thirty minutes is too long to have him out there. And this is the problem that you have covering Biden. The Evident infirmity is so clear that by the end of that speech, he's like all over the place. He's he's lost the thread. He's it's a factual jumble. And you want to talk, you know, you have a speech like that. You do things. You stop and talk to the press like he did here, trying to create a narrative. And there is the cooperative relationship between the president and the press to drive the story of the day. Why do people want to cover the White House? Because it gets you on the front page, right? Because the president can make news and people always, there's always a market for it. So when the president does things that are just politics, right? I'm going out, I'm doing a campaign stop, I'm saying stuff. What are you going to say, right? Because ultimately you have to, or at least I feel like I have to, talk about it as political performance. And as political performance, it's really bad, right? It's really bad. And his, when he gets things wrong and it's a, on the one hand, it's a boring story because it's it's baked in like, yeah, Joe Biden can't remember things and Joe Biden gets slippy. But on the other hand, it's 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 do you remember the name of the Tracy Morgan, Tracy Jordan Oscar bait movie from 30 Rock? No, it's called Hard to Watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do we have next? Well, what about the IRS whistleblower? Oh, okay. You know, right, I was worked up about this. I'm ready for it. This was a big story. Some of the claims have been have subsequently actually been confirmed by the New York Times. And it's a very Washington story. And I go to read Politico's playbook. And it I, was like the story of the day. Be, and before town. you begin, though, the, the lead story that they have is about Mike Pence. And I just want to say the photograph that they have of Mike Pence looks like a person who has just taken something off of a lathe in a wood shop and is admiring it, it like like a handsome dowel that he has just turned for, an, for a piece of, of replica antique furniture. Their subject line was Mike Pence's plan to go further on abortion. And the whistleblower story about the Justice Department's handling of the Hunter Biden plea deal Mm -hmm. was buried about three-fourths of the way down here and given one line in this entire thing. So, you know, story story selection. After You mean after the item about a, a Kentucky gubernatorial candidate? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Although their interview with Ralph Reed was very interesting and I think more revealing than Ralph Reed meant to meant to say. Can I also say while we're here and I'm reminded of this, how much does the press love Will Hurd? My goodness gracious, that is a lot of Will Hurd affection. And I think the thing they love most about him is, is that he is like doesn't I mean, I don't want to say he doesn't have a chance. Who knows? Da 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 da. But like 
wow, a lot of Will Hurd love out there. I'm sure Tim Scott and other Republican candidates in single digits are like, hey, what about me? I, I probably won't win either. Would you like to also talk to me? Anyway. What do we have next here? Oh, tr- well, speaking of, speaking of crimes and politics, Donald Trump. So we talked last week about Brett Baer's interview with Donald yes, Trump. Yes, we did. And we played clips. And the, the aftermath as Trump is trying to clean up from this and basically making, making – and CNN finally released the audio of Trump talking about the secret documents that he had and da-da-da-da-da. So as the legal situation gets worse for Trump, here is the, the new dynamic, which is as Fox – look, the DeSantis play for Fox pretty clearly – did not take, right? There was a heavy, they moved heavy on DeSantis fairly early and DeSantis has lost, you guys can tell me what, probably a a third of his support since February. Is that probably fair? Yeah. Nate Moore Moore accepts my my premise. That's good. Paycheck's coming through this time. Keep agreeing. The, the, The DeSantis play, swapping out one Florida man for another, that was no good. Now Trump is not only really angry at Fox about the interview, which Brett Baer did a very good job in. And Trump, by the way, can you help me with something? Why would Trump do that interview? To get back on the, I think, I, Trump likes interacting with the I press. I know he does, but why? He enjoys it. He could he could do an interview with a journalist every day if he wanted to. What made him decide that at that moment the right thing to do was to do a sit-down where he was going to face challenging questions? Did he underestimate Bear? Did he overestimate himself? He does. He does CNN. He does. He does every network. Has he done... When was the last time he... Oh, speaking of which, I'm sorry to be a little... And when he was in office, it was the New York Times, it was the Washington Post, it was the New York Post, it was Politico, it was everyone. Did I see that today, this very day, speaking of sit-down interviews, that Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., president of these United States, is going to do his first ever live sit-down interview... And it's with, what's her name, the former Bushy, who is now... Nicole Wallace. Yes. That, we're we're recording this beforehand, but I'm going to... We will discuss. We will discuss, but I am going to give a a, a woof, a a preemptive woof. I hope my woof is proven wrong, and I'll happily take my woof back later. But I bet she doesn't do as good a job with Biden as Brett Baer did with Donald Trump. I think that is... I think that is safe to say. But happy to take a wolf down later. Anyway, one of the consequences with Trump and Fox is Trump is going deeper in on his potential boycotting of the debate that Brett Baer and Martha McCallum are going to moderate among the Republican candidates in, oh, yeah, you betcha, Wisconsin later this summer. Do you think Donald Trump will really boycott the first debate and not attend? I think there's a good chance of it. I'm I am actually skeptical that the debates this cycle will play out the way that they have in previous cycles. I'm not I really don't know the alternative or how they will play out, but I just don't see and look, they haven't announced the second debate or the third debate. There've well, been there no announcements two, from the RNC. No, they have not announced well, the second the, debate. They said the second one was going to be at the Reagan Library. They They've said the place, but they haven't said, said anything when. else. And so I am skeptical. I mean, why would Trump participate? Well, I I can see him. So I believe there will be debates. The They're a huge fundraising platform for the RNC. They're, they are important to the RNC membership to do in a much attrited and weakened party system. These debates are a big deal for their members. And I can tell you from what's going on now that they're intensely interested. The members of the Republican National Committee are intensely interested in this question. So they want to do one. If you do one and Trump doesn't come to the first one, and I'm I, I, he made a mistake. He, he he acknowledged that he made a mistake boycotting a debate the last time around in 2016 in Iowa. I think if he skips one, he'll do the next one. I think there will be debates because the networks want him. The Republicans so you think want Trump him. shows up to Fox if he if he doesn't show up to Fox, he'll have to show up for the next one, because what he's not going to do is let these others have the stage to themselves. Though it would probably, inter- interesting thought. Here's a thought experiment. So he doesn't do it. 
and it helps the field start to shake out. And when he does join the stage later, it's more challenging. It's probably better for him to be on stage from the beginning and let the others fight around him rather than letting them consolidate before he gets in. I may have just written my column right there. There you go. Okay. Nate, make a note of that. That's good. Okay, we got something. And a last Fox thing, I wanted to get your reaction to Jesse Waters, Area Bro, gets primetime slot 8 p.m. on Fox to replace Tucker Carlson. What What do you think about that? I have no reaction to Jesse Waters. I think it's boring. Jesse Waters, boring. Laura Ingram, boring. Laura Ingram moved to seven. Yeah. Well, I don't think any of that, the moving of the deck chairs around, matters. I think the Gutfeld move is interesting Mm -hmm. and could potentially— he's going to 10 o'clock? He's going to 10 o'clock. I think that's interesting. I think it would have been— Maybe more interesting to put him in the actual yeah, in an thought, actual eight o'clock hour and see what happens. I think I'm, I'm going to guess part of the concern is that the the edgy biting exactly kind but of. But to see how they could do with that, yeah, I think could have been very interesting. But I don't. Who cares if it's Laura or Jesse or Sean? You know, Hannity. This, I, but I this is a tough. This is a tough move for Laura Ingram to get. This is a demotion for her. I don't know. I don't know. But I think I think Nona's and Gaga's around the nation like Jesse Waters. I think that they think he's a nice. I, he's dis- an upstanding young man. D- dis- despite the, the many foibles that have been pointed out since he got the job, certain Chinatown interviews, et cetera, et cetera. I think that I think a lot of older Fox viewers think he's a very nice young man. And I also think that for Fox, it will be a welcome respite from what they were dealing with with Tucker Carlson because Jesse Waters is not going to he rock the boat. Do do what he's told. Yeah, that's another way to say that. <laughs> okay, I last I'm just returned from Chicago where the News Nation and my colleague Elizabeth Vargas hosted a town hall with Robert F Kennedy Jr. and we were very lucky in our timing around this question because he's having for good or for ill his little media moment. And I point you to there's a piece in the Atlantic that basically is a a call to Democrats. It's called the first MAGA Democrat. It's by John Hendrickson. And it's the the Democrats case against Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And it's time to start taking him time to start taking him seriously because of the threats that he poses, et cetera, et cetera. Let me lay out my theory of the case. The media theory of the the unified media field theory of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Famous name, married to a famous person. So he's got some Hollywood stuff. He's got some Washington stuff. He's got some New York stuff. And the New York Times, by the way, did a wonderful profile. I, I, let me pull it up. Did, we, did we never talk about the Cheryl Hines profile? It was so good. So good. And um, the Larry so David quote. That. The Larry David quote. Yeah, I'm supportive, but I'm not supporting him. And you can feel the air quotes okay. as he says that. So we should definitely include that New York Times okay. piece. Okay, uh, it's in there. So RFK Jr. got this famous name. And then I think mischief-making right-wingers were giving him a platform in a sort of Operation Chaos kind of, well, how come Joe Biden won't debate? He's a Kennedy. He's polling at 20%. How come you're not debating? And so Fox... And a lot of other outlets on the right were pushing hard on Kennedy. I think, though, and this is what I, and kudos, by the way, to Elizabeth Vargas, who that was a very difficult situation with the live studio audience and a candidate who Hendrickson calls him the first MAGA Democrat and compares him to Donald Trump. I think the difference with between those two, the many differences between the two. RFK Jr. believes the stuff he's saying, right? He believes that 5G is hurting the cellular components of your body. I think he believes, like, the stuff that he's saying, he's not floating and trying on for size. I think he's a true believer in a lot of this stuff. But anyway, so it was an extraordinarily challenging space for her, and I thought thought she did very well with it. But you have right-wing elevation. Now you get the left-wing snapback. And you read this here in the Atlantic and other places. Like it's time, it's time to, to to put this down. My fearless forecast is that he will, and the backlash will be part of this. He will develop, and it has developed a real following of yes, some people on the right, 
but also the non non insignificant number of Bernie bro kind of Democrats on the left who will find the scorn heaped upon Kennedy to be another reason to support him. Right. I agree with that. Good. Look and at that. I think we talked last week where I was saying that this sort of thing that I think he will have a real following on the left. There, there will be real, you know, he is at the, he represents the, the horseshoe, right? Where the populist left and the populist right meet because he has a smorgasbord of these ideas that he's going to put together. And I should apologize to Nate Moore on the record for long poo-pooing and not allowing Kennedy, enough Kennedy coverage to come into my work at the dispatch because I did not, I was lazy and did not want to deal with it. And Nate Moore was right. And I was wrong. There you go. Fine. That's it. That's in lieu of a bonus this year. <laughs> All right. Canada. Time to blame Canada. Canada is going to force Facebook to pay for media links. Canadian Facebook sounds awful. Um, I can just say that even so before any changes. The Wall Street Journal reports that the new law passed by Canada's Senate requires digital platforms to strike commercial deals with news publishers, which incorporates print, online, and broadcasting outlets for their content. The goal is to provide media outlets with a financial lifeline to offset the loss of advertising revenue that is migrated to the digital sphere. Should negotiations fail, the legislation calls for the two sides to enter binding arbitration to determine appropriate compensation. Publishers choose to share their content because it benefits them to do so, whereas it isn't particularly valuable to us at all, Nick Clegg, Meta's president of global affairs, said in May in explaining the company's decision to block news should the legislation pass. Clegg added that Canada, Canada's law goes beyond what Australia implemented because it would put a price on free links to web pages, which flies in the face, and this is quoting Clegg, which flies in the face of global norms on copyright principles and puts at risk the free flow of information online. So this is a, a conversation that we should note because um, American lawmakers have continued to explore this area. So there's the part that, and this is only my opinion, there's the part that that merits consideration, which is the waiving of antitrust considerations so that publishers can collectively bargain with social media outlets. This makes this makes some sense because there's, in fact, to be to be super to dork out in a in an extraordinary fashion. The antitrust rules that are in place for these outlets don't make sense anymore because the media markets have changed so substantially anyway that they're they're already outmoded. So letting them bargain together, I think, is a perfectly (laughs) reasonable consideration. What Australia and Canada, what these Commonwealth countries are trying, and Canada is going farther, which is we're going to make you pay them. We'll force you to pay for news links that are posted. And while Clegg is telling the truth, which is that it benefits the outlet more than it does Facebook, that's only in the specific by link sense. Net-net, sharing news is, is a big part of how the community thrives and how you have a lot of users that are in there talking about stuff that they're posting. And this could, Canadian Facebook, which I assume just is tastes slightly off, like, it, you know how Canadian, what there's Jonah's wife, Jessica Gavora, talks about things as being, that are off as being faintly Canadian or vaguely Canadian. I assume Canadian Facebook is just like a little bit, a little bit different. Sorry, Canadian listeners. I'm sure, see you at the Tim Hortons. We can fight in the parking lot. If there ever were two stories back to back that were more like Chris TM, <laughs> I don't think I will ever see them. Hit it. The first is from the Associated Press. Smoke from Canada wildfires is increasing health risks in black and poorer U.S. communities. The impacts, the AP writes, are particularly hard on poor and minority communities that are more likely to live near polluting plants and have higher rates of asthma. Detroit, a mostly black city with a poverty rate of about 30 percent, had some of the worst air quality in the U.S. Wednesday, prompting the Environmental Protection Agency to warn that, quote, everyone should stay indoors. Should black people especially stay indoors? Yes, they should. If you're black, especially don't go outside. If you're black, because of the Canadian smoke, it's targeting you. Yep. I say it every, I get sadly a chance to say it every week. Poverty sucks. Being poor 
is hard. It is much harder than it is to be middle class or wealthy in the United States. And it is also true that people of color have a much higher share of live in a much higher share of poverty than they are in the population as a whole. And this will create all these kinds of effects. And you could go by any time you wanted to and talk about any issue that's a economic issue as a racial issue as well. The Associated Press choosing to make Canadian forest fires an issue of race is exactly how the, th- this is an, ex- an archetypical example of how lazy reporting and narrative pushing hoo-ha divides this America. This is like, I mean, I feel like we could cut and paste this story right. across all the press and we could cut and paste what you just said across every week because again this is the again. media narrative over and over again. Whatever the incident there's a, there's a, there's a, is. And, that and this, the, you have this big story. And I, it's we had it before in like May that we had all this smoke. Now we've got it again. Talking oh, about but it's not just about the smoke. It's anything. Right. Asthma affects more. Any anything. anything that's happening. All right. The second one that is right up Chris's alley is from Scientific American. Climate friendly cocktail recipes go light on ice <laughs> because the ice making procedure in bars is crazy wasteful. It, this is quoting somebody. It's kind of just built into the way bars operate things. Energy wasted from ice is largely because of in-house ice machines, which many, if not most, bars and restaurants use to maintain their steady ice supply. Ice machines run continually until they're full, potentially for several hours at a time. The machines vary widely in terms of the amount of energy they draw, however, depending on whether they're air or water cooled. So they recommend... You know, just don't have a lot of ice in your cocktail. It's just, like, I, I, I don't know how much the carbon footprint of ice generation in America is. But do you like ice? Are you a pro-ice person? I love ice. I'm very sensitive to cold. Yes. And, to like, the temperature. So if a drink is supposed to be cold, I want it freezing. Cold. And if something's supposed to be hot, I want it really hot. I love an iced beverage. It's so good. A iced, what, oh, let's take a Coke Zero, a delicious Coke Zero. Coke Zero out of a can, that's good. I got no, I, I got nothing bad to say about it. A CZ out of the can will, will treat you right. You pour that bad boy. And by the way, what's your preferred kind of ice? Do you like a pellet ice? Do you like a big cube? It's the crushed. You like it crushed? Oh, you yeah. like it the flaky? Mm-hmm. I like a pe- I like pellet ice. Pellet ice is what the is king. that? So that's the one that looks like rabbit poop. It's the. It's I thought crushed ice looks like that. No, crushed ice is what you get in a snow cone. Oh no, that I like that. Well, then there's shaved ice, and I don't want to take us. I don't want to take us all the way down. We could get into a mixology discussion. We could talk about the Ramos gin fizz. We could talk about many. things. I like pellet ice, I, but I thought that was crushed. The pellet ice is the king of ice. We all know that that is because it it melts and floats. It melts evenly, floats up nicely. A lot of good thing to say about the pellet ice. And I would just say to Scientific American, just let people have their ice. Let them have their ice. I don't want to live in Europe. In Europe, you know when you order lemonade in Europe and it's hot, it's like hot, bad Sprite? That's not, nobody wants to live like that. We don't need to live that way. This is America. Did you read Highlights Magazine as a child ever? Not really. I got I wasn't that much of like a kid-like kid, I believe Chris. I believe I was like... You know, when when the kids were reading highlights, I was like, let me watch Silence of the Lambs. Why won't you let me watch R-rated movies? There's a darkness ah, there. Ah, There's a yeah. darkness there. I was like the most annoying. In the, in, the, in the lobby of the church basement outside of Sunday school class, in a doctor's or dentist's office, I would come across a highlights magazine. And my children, I forget who generously gave my children a subscription to Highlights Magazine when they were little. But were you familiar with Gallant and Goofus? No. So Highlights Magazine had a, and Highlights Magazine sort of. Let me just give you more background. I did not watch cartoons or like them, and I did not play with dolls. So uh, Highlights Magazine. Don't let me interrupt you. Highlights Magazine. (laughs) Was born of the what I would I would call the mainstream deistic Judeo-Christian 
community of the do-gooder. It, it has a, a real Northern Methodist energy around it is what I would say, but not a religious tract, but sort of pleasantly wholesome family content that they had. And they had these two cartoon characters, Gallant and Goofus. Okay. And the point was that you don't want to be like Goofus, who is doing it wrong. He's mean, or he's discourteous, or he's messy, or he's whatever. You want to be like Gallant. This turned into a meme over time, uh, and like a retro. I need to Google this. Well, you you could just, in fact, read this piece in the Atlantic called okay, okay. The Comic Strip Gallant and Goofus that explains the evolution of American parenting. And I want to tell you. Oh, this looks really old school. I want to say that there's thumb sucking and then there's thumb sucking. And this piece from Julie Beck. That was like such a long wind up for such a low you, deliver, I, delivery. I, I would, you needed me to explain Gallant and Goofus and Highlights <laughs> Magazine because you just acknowledged that you, no, had, I that you excluded Highlights your. No, I remember Magazine from the school library that you, that where all those ex- losers would sit there reading it. Yes, exactly. While you, while you were, I take it, like trying to score well, all those cigarettes. mental midgets were. That's right. <laughs> So yeah. this this piece, Among Thumbsuckery, okay. uh, tries to plot parenting changes in the United States based on Gallant and Goofus. And I would just I would just tell you, read it. Look at this. It's goofy. It, the Goofus take is goofy. And it also, as you read through, the author is really excited about the fact that by the end, Gallon and Goofus are just morally ambiguous, right? That once upon a time, you know, they were mean to Goofus and it was, they said bad things about Goofus and Gallant, you know, I mean, it was too nice to him. Now it's a more morally and ethically complicated story that Gallant and Goofus are telling. And this is again a reminder of. People cannot have nice things. You can't leave anything alone. Gallant and Goofus, nobody ever was thought that that was serious and real, but here is a doctoral dissertation level take okay. on this. So there you have it. This should have been in our previous section. Okay. I just realized before we got to the comic strip, the Reuters piece that concluded more than 100 U.S. political well, elites have family links to slavery. This could very easily have been my obsession. Oh, okay. But I, I wanted to leave it up here so that we could we could both roll around in this a little okay. bit. Okay, we both could have rolled around in your obsession, but the best part was that the only U.S. president they found who didn't have links was Trump. Donald Trump. It was uh-huh. so amazing. And he even truth socialed it, where he's like, all the presidents, but yours truly, yeah. they're descended from yeah. slave owners, makes you think. Yeah. And uh, here's what I would say. To Reuters, gross. This is an extraordinarily gross thing to do, is to talk about slavery, American slavery, in this way, and trying to visit the sins of previous generations totally. onto their descendants. Office holders today, many of whom have staked out key, staked key positions on policies related to race, have links. Revealing for the first time in breadth and detail the extent of those leaders' ancestral connections to what's commonly called America's original sin. I mean, what does it have to do with anything? Reuters was surprised to find that very few of them wanted to talk to Reuters about it. Right. That when Reuters called and said, would you like to talk about— Yeah, you were willing to discuss the subject. Only a quarter of those identified as having slave— Holding ancestor had offered any comment to Reuters. Hello, Congressman. Yeah. This is Reuters here. <laughs> yeah. I understand your great grandfather owned slaves, and you're a racist. Want to talk about yeah. it? No. Okay, I among, guess. Among the silent <clears throat> politicians who previously have spoken publicly, sometimes eloquently, about the legacy of slavery and the need for racial healing. I mean, so you can't, you can't have become better than those who came before you. Well, and also. How many of the America's political elite are descended from abolitionists? How many of America's political elite are de- de- descended from people who fought for the North in the Civil War? It doesn't matter because they didn't do it, right? You wouldn't give credit to someone whose ancestor was an abolitionist, right? You wouldn't say, well, they're pretty racist now, but because they're descended from you know, Harriet Beecher Stowe, because they're from the Lyman Beecher, Beecher's fifth great nephew, that this mitigates their racism. No, 
And neither would it say that it increases your racism if you are descended from someone who owns slaves. And by the way, many of these people necessarily are descended from both, right? Many of these people necessarily are descended from people who were on the other side of that question. It noted Barack Obama, you know, it's only obviously only some other side. That's, um, that's what they want you to right. think, Eliana. <laughs> Check the birth certificate. But right. this, this is really, uh, it, this hurt my heart so much to see this. I mean, this didn't hurt my heart. This is exactly what I expect of them. This, this, this perfectly met my expectation. This really hurt my heart to see because talking about, you know, we're, I just finished the great book. I think it's called The Fate of the Republic, but it's the story of the assassination of James A. Garfield. And the extraordinary lengths that Garfield went through and the country went through in those days. Who's the book by? Her name is escaping me at this moment, but maybe we can throw a link to it in the show notes somewhere. But it's, it's, it's great. And the extraordinary lengths that this country was going through in the 1880s to try to get beyond the question of the Civil War and get beyond these things, this is just, you know, we, we owe each other more as Americans than to try to hold liable individuals for the misdeeds of their ancestors. That's un-American and it's the wrong thing to do. And I really lament this kind of conduct. Destiny of the Republic by Candace Millard. Yes, by Candace Millard, Destiny of the Republic. Charles Guiteau, old boy was wild, wild Charles Guiteau. I had no idea well, were you reading about Charles Gateau instead of reading highlights? No. <laughs> well, I was reading like Mary Higgins Clark, like trash, John oh. Grisham. Oh. Okay, so you were cooler than me. I didn't know they allowed smoking in the in the elementary school. I schools. was definitely not smoking. I was definitely not smoking. Uh, yeah, I didn't try, I didn't start no. smoking until I was 12. All right. We are almost at our style section. Yeah, but, but before, before we get there, pre-style. we have to discuss the how New York Times piece on how mar- migrants flowed to Martha's Vineyard, came to call it home. I read this entire piece this morning, yep. and it is about four, four migrants. But it's a small of island. the 49 yes. who are flown there. So 49 in total were flown Edgar there. Edgar Sandoval photographs and by Matt Cosby. I got basically nothing out of this piece. It was basically about how four of the people flown there are now working and living there and have come to really like it which certainly know the point of this which which i also would really like i think living you know the point of this piece perfectly well which is the first word of this story should be actually ron desantis Mm -hmm. and so this this story says basically if you were doing a... Well, I don't know what happened to the other... Florida flew 49 migrants from Texas to the liberal enclave last year. Since then, a few of them have found work, friends, and a new life on the wealthy island. So the point of this story is you thought that you were punishing Martha's Vineyard. thought you were punking you thought, them. You thought you were punking Martha's Vineyard. But you know what? Martha's Vineyarders are so cool and so nice and their Birkenstocks are so capacious that they are prepared <laughs> to welcome in and take in these people, unlike you hateful person, well, Ron DeSantis. I don't know what happened to the other 45. They were not welcome. Maybe they did arms. not wish yeah, to, maybe yeah. they did not wish to be profiled by the New York yeah, Times. They they were not so fortunate. But this is definitely a actually piece for sure. Well, it is now that time. For our style section. Well, you know, both of our obsessions are kind of style sectiony. So maybe it's a um, it's a mashup here. Chris, I don't know. You noted that Havana Gila, the you beloved know, Jewish folk song, New York has Times again made an entree to New York City nightclubs. The New York Times headline is that Havana Gila. I'm hearing at the club. Question mark? I don't know. Uh, I would have liked clubs a lot more. The beloved Jewish folk song, which is about a century old, is appearing more and more at sporting events, private parties, and trendy bars. Allison Kruger reports, and you know the Havana for for people who are not familiar, you know it. You know Havana. Oh, let's play Hava. it. Yes, let's can we get a little get let's... a little clip? Hopefully by a organ, because that's where you get the real good stuff. 
So he's really getting the in there. He it's is great. not. He is totally. leaning into the pronunciation. What what is your what is your take on this? I love it. Okay, you're for I'm this for piece, and you're for yes. I'm for anytime Jewish culture can be more deeply embedded into American culture. Have you heard Hamanagila more of late? No. Okay. Um, but I'm not exactly frequenting the clubs these days. Well, please report. I, I think we should put out a plea to Wretch Nation. Which is, if you hear the Havana Gila places, please alert us, and we will we will yes, make a note. Yes, if you're of out it. at the club and um, or a baseball game or wherever you go, and you yeah. hear the Havana Gila, yeah, let, let let's, let's test the premise. Is this just New York, or is this in the rest? Is it as in in real America? That brings us to our obsessions of the week, where Obsessed. we break down. <laughs> the stories we can't get out of our heads. And Chris, this is actually a story I thought about this week, which is that I guess since having a baby a year and a half ago, I have not been keeping up with Real Housewives of New York City. Okay. And I saw the New York Times piece, a big style section piece, Jenna Lyons, Unlikely Housewife. And okay. Jenna Lyons was the, I believe, like fashion director. She was a very senior Okay, she was president of J. Crew for many, many, many years. Was this years. back when J. Crew was a fashion icon? Yes. Okay. So she left in 2011, but she is cool. Okay. In my opinion. Okay. And she is now on Real Housewives of New York City, and that cast has been totally rebooted. So I had no idea. What are What are the implications here? I was just surprised that she's not. First of all, I had no idea she was gay. She's gay, and. She's not really a housewife. And she, I was wondering, are they taking a turn to have, like, serious professional women on this? And anyhow, I then went to watch, and we just moved. So I then went to watch this because I was so excited about it. And I had to pay under our new cable. So oh. I didn't do that. Oh. And so I was super disappointed. But this this piece is awesome. And I loved reading it. And I love this woman. This Bethany Frankel from the Old Housewives, who's like her own brand now. And yeah, anyway, loved this piece. And I can't wait to watch this when it comes out from behind the paywall. Ms. Lyons, 55, was known for being tasteful, aspirational. She'd been to the Met Gala seven times. Yeah. The Housewives were a brawling pageant of guilty pleasure, redefining the cultural meaning of housewife. Many of them were, in fact, divorced. They were flamboyant, comma, chaotic. Two of them went to prison, and yet Ms. Lyons embraced the idea. In February 2022, when another gay podcaster pasted Ms. Lyons' face onto a promotional image of the Hrone cast, <laughs> Ms. Lyons shared it on her Instagram story, writing, quote, who do I need to call, double question mark, I am available. It was a bit of a joke. She said, one of those moments where somebody posts something that seems completely unlikely and out of humor, I said, yes. Still, still, Eliana, still. She did forward her post to Andy Cohen, the Bravo host and executive They're producer of the Housewives franchise. They probably hang out. Whose Christmas party she had attended. You know what? This is a good idea, Mr. Cohen replied via direct message. Ms. Lyons sent a tilted head laughing emoji. What? Then a dual red exclamation point emoji. Then a heart emoji. I feel dumber having read that. I feel so much well, dumber having read that. She did this reality show for a year that I watched on a plane once. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Where I will never apologize really for having read it Highlights is, magazine again. It's really good. Okay. It's like a design reality show where the people compete to do these design contests. And man, she is an exacting perfectionist. Like, you do get an insight into how she became so successful, which is why I thought it would be really cool to watch her on this show. She's a serious hyper successful person. I'm going to I'm going to hold so, off on serious. I so I put I, that in your pipe and smoke. I'm going to hold off on serious right now. She's a serious person. I believe she's successful and she looks interesting and maybe she's hilarious. 
Sirius seems tilted head emoji. Is tilted head emoji disqualifying? I don't know if she's hilarious. Actually, the criticism in here was that she's very guarded and didn't share enough and like wasn't a total mess. So, okay. So All I'm right. getting serious person vibes. Well, Eliana, do you know what might help you enjoy Roni even more? <laughs> what? Hallucinogenic drugs. I, I'm sure. <laughs> what if? What if? What if I you were certain of that? What if you were high as a mink coat while you watch? Well, that's a question that the Wall Street Journal. If you want to know how 2023 we are in 2023, the Wall Street Journal, with a deep dive into the recreational use of psilocybin, magic mushrooms, ketamine, LSD. This is, of course, around the. This broke the story about Elon Musk being a ketamine enthusiast. And of all the things that are going to tank a Tesla stock, you've got to think, so cat tranquilizers are what you take to relax? Have you thought about just maybe cracking a cold one at the end of the day without ice, maybe a, a lukewarm one at the end of the day? But the enthusiasm, I guess I should, I, I should say this. The frontiers of using psychoactive drugs to treat depression are real, right? Like, this is a real thing for people suffering with PTSD, maybe even some people with addiction issues, maybe whatever. I'm not saying that that's not the thing. But what is happening here is it's all getting lumped in together with also people who are like, I like to drop into a K-hole on the weekends (laughs) in order to chill out. And the mainstreaming of this stuff, I see, speaking of which, at the RFK town hall, one of the points, because it was interesting, he'd be talking about stuff, and you're like, oh, I don't know, okay, maybe I'm hearing you, I'm hearing you. And then he started talking about hallucinogens, and I was like, ah, you lost him again. You you were bringing him in. And then he goes on- Oh, yeah. And talking okay. about how these things need to be decriminalized. Maybe you can't go into the the corner store and buy LSD. Well, that's good that you can't go to the corner store to buy LSD, but maybe it ought to be more available and, and on and on and on. And this story captures, I think, very – this is a current running through American life today. Marijuana having been substantially yes. legalized or decriminalized, the next logical step is these hallucinogens, which have – always existed, not always, but for decades existed in the same cultural fish show, deadhead space, blah, 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 blah. And so this is sort of a logical component. But Elon Musk on ketamine, congratulations, Wall Street Journal. You, you, you got a big one. All right, Chris, that brings us to my favorite time of the week, which is reader mail. And the first letter is from EJ in Charlotte. Okay. I assume North Carolina. I, I hope. <laughs> and she, he or she says, Eliana, you have done it. You have created a new verbal cultural phenomenon. Your use of the word sir last episode and the brilliant use of emphasis to reflect your feelings was beautiful. First with your plane story and then the bowling coach. So great. Chef's kiss. Please continue and make it a thing. What Howard Stern has done for Hey Now, you can do for sir. Sir. (laughs) Uh, P.S. Since you've taken the time to brush your hair, say it with the Long Island accent. Then, yes, I'll watch the YouTube episodes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Take care. Brush your hair. That's a... Thank you. A, a, I did. A Do my hair. That's right. And it, it looks great. Sleek. And uh, you, it's all... Maybe this is you. This is EJ. Is this oh really my gosh. you? Is this really <laughs> just you writing in from Charlotte? I was I was thinking it might be our friend Emily Jashinsky, but... Dear me, you've done it again. Is that you lurking? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Up next, we have Charlie Ritchie in Cincinnati. I like he it. He writes, hello, Eliana and Chris. Hello, Cincinnati. Please accept my high praise on your podcast. The happy warrior energy is highly enjoyable and entertaining and rare these days. Plus, there are serious points made on serious topics. Who knew learning could be so fun? The story below by the AP, and that is Moms for Liberty chapter, apologizes for quoting Hitler in newsletter. <laughs> He says a story below by the AP could have been someone in a local chapter of an organization gooped up by including a quote, which Hitler may or may not have originated. They quickly removed it and apologized. End of story. Yes. Yes. 
Clearly, Ali Swenson doesn't like this group, so the AP news story features the following awful reporting. Leads with reports that the moms are labeled extremists. The ever fair and balanced Southern Poverty Law Center is the quoted watchdog, says that some people believe the moms tacitly endorse Hitler, a total Trump line, some people say. Quotes opposition groups' talking points repeatedly. Yes, it turns out moms hate books and kids. Hard-hitting facts, quote, numerous historical texts attribute the quote to Hitler, but are inconclusive. Since text is plural, we can conclude there are two or more. Charlie Ritchie should come sit in and do this show. I don't know. Um, He's from Cincinnati. What? How, what? How many ways do, do you have your chili, Charlie Ritchie? My favorite part of Charlie's note, and sorry, I didn't read the whole thing. Let me finish. And he says, and cherry on top, there is even a mention of someone taking, taking to, to Twitter. Twitter. On a serious note, this is nourishment for people in an echo chamber. I have friends who will read and nod, which is kind of frightening. Thanks. Keep up the good work. And my favorite part was P.S. Hugs to Colin. Colin doesn't strike me as a hugger. Are you a hugger? Yeah. No. I Really? Yeah, sure. Don't you tip over the canoe if you hug in the canoe, though? You have to wait till you're on land? Yes. Okay. A that's land fair. Hugger. A land hugger. Lake wash that, that hug. All right. Charlie, I'm a, do you know, how, how many ways do you have your chili, Eliana? One. Have you ever had Cincinnati-style chili? Yes, unfortunately. Wow. I guess you're not welcome here, Charlie. I guess that's over for Charlie. Um, so close. Well, I would eat it with Charlie. Okay. There you go. For sure. For sure. Because uh, I'm not I'm not really a picky eater, except for I don't like bags of beef in the morning. Have you ever eaten a bag of meat in the morning? And it doesn't <laughs> no. have to be beef. It could be pork. It could be chicken. It could be whatever. It could be elk. I don't care. But it's a, you know, it's that AM meat bag. That's what works. <laughs> Do what works for you. Okay, that brings us to your favorite time of the week, Chris. Where I am forced to say something nice, and it is not a problem this week, but you are going to lead by example. Much good to say about the Wall Street Journal this week. Jessica Flint writing in the journal, This small oil town has an extravagant obsession. Million-dollar home renovations. Whether it's a single-room refresh or a full-scale project, the residents of Bartlesville, Oklahoma, call Courtney McClure the only interior designer within an hour's drive. And this is a great sketch that is done a little tongue-in-cheekish. Like, read it. It's very well done. And the, the phenomenon of what happened. So this is, Bartlesville is like, I don't know, north, northeast Oklahoma, and just read it. It's good. If you, like the, if you like interior design, you'll like it. If you like cultural vignette, you'll like it. I enjoyed this. Chris, mine was a no-brainer. It's a chess update. Obviously. It's a chess update. We have the Is AFP the, reporting on the fact that a Jean U.S. France judge, Press. yes, that a U.S. judge Please. threw out the high-profile chess cheating lawsuit filed by... The world, world champion Magnus Carlsen and others against Hans Niemann. <gasps> and Carlsen's attorney says, we are pleased the court has rejected Hans. Oh, sorry, it's the reverse. By Niemann against Magnus Carlsen. We are pleased the court has rejected Hans Niemann's attempt to recover an undeserved windfall in Missouri's federal court. <laughs> and it says... Where, where else wouldn't you American be looking for a windfall? hailed as a prodigy by those close to him, had filed a suit for libel in a Missouri state court uh, because in a case that shook the chess world and has gripped millions of Internet users. It all started it all, on September 5th, 2022, when Neiman defeated Carlson in the Sinkfeld <laughs> Cup. An annual chess tournament held in St. Louis, Missouri. Sorry, St. Louis. The 32-year-old Norwegian Carlsen, a five-time world champion, then withdrew from the tournament with a bang, accusing his opponent of cheating. His claims were later echoed. Oh, this is where we got to the vibes, right? These were the allegations that there were. Yes. The, 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 he had an earpiece. And, and also a piece in another orifice. Yes. 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 Okay. All yes. Right. Just making, making um, sure. Making sure. So... It then Neiman had admitted to cheating online when he right. was between 12 and 16, but denies having continued and said he was ready to strip naked to prove his skill. Octuliba. <laughs> and I, I hope to God that a federal judge in Missouri was like, all of you weirdos, get out. Just get out and go back to whatever chess loving country you're from. We're here to watch St. Louis Cardinals baseball. 
get get out of here. So anyhow, in this lawsuit, Neiman was seeking a hundred million dollars from the people who had accused him of cheating. Well, yes, we will follow the chess beat. The chess beat and goes the court on here. Threw that out, and that is all the time we have for the news about the news. If you have a story that you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. And sign up for our newsletter at nebulouspodcasts.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media, produced by Colin Chicola, who loves hugs. Hug it out. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you see Colin for Wretches. And if you see Colin on the street, hug it out. <laughs> <laughs>